Hey, welcome to the Living Messenger Podcast, where we discuss God's simple truths and His gospel. I'm your host, Andrew O'Neill. Looking back on your life, can you ever remember a moment that defined who you became? One of those moments for me came in 1988, which was my freshman year of high school. I grew up playing baseball my whole life and couldn't wait to play in high school. The only problem was I went to a public high school and the first few games were played on Sabbath. Now, I knew this when tryouts started but wasn't sure if I should tell the coach or not. I thought maybe if I told him I wouldn't make the team. As the final day came, the coach lined us up outside and called us into his classroom one by one and told us if we made the team or not. As I sat there waiting for my turn, I became nervous, wondering if I should tell the coach about playing on Sabbath. My impatience grew as some of the kids came out of the classroom wearing a green baseball cap, meaning they had made the team. Finally, my turn came and I walked into the classroom, still debating if I should tell the coach or not. As I walked in, I looked up on his wall and saw a huge quote that said, Stand up for what you believe in, even if you stand alone. As I read that, I knew what I had to do. I told the coach I couldn't play on Saturdays because I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. He looked at me and said, I know, I drafted you a few years ago in Little League, but you ended up not playing because there were too many games on Sabbath. He said, that isn't a problem, and handed me a baseball hat. Now, why am I telling you this story? We'll get into that eventually, but something has been weighing on me this past year, and I wanted to share it with you. With everything going on in this world, and especially the past few years, it's become obvious that things are going on behind the scenes that we don't necessarily see or understand. And Bible prophecy plays a huge role in helping us see and understand those things. I don't know about you, but growing up Adventist, I have seen many people dismiss prophecy. Now, obviously, prophecy is a big thing for Adventists, but I think we've preached it so much that people kind of become numb to it. How many times have you heard someone say, we've been preaching about prophecy for a hundred of years and nothing changes, or Jesus is going to come like a thief at night, so why try to predict when he's coming? So I'm going to do something a little different. I want to see what the Bible and Ellen G. White says about prophecies and if they're truly important. I wanted to start off with Noah because his story provides the best context for the end of times. We know that Noah received God's warning message of the flood 120 years before it happened. God always sends a warning message, right? So God gave Noah time to preach his message and warn the people. Now picture yourself in Noah's time listening to him preach year after year saying there's going to be a flood and we need to repent from our sins. Would you listen? I honestly don't think I would. Maybe I would for a year or two, but 80 years? Definitely not. Now I would probably have to rethink my position once I saw all the animals piled into the ark. But did anyone care to listen or pay attention even after that happened? No, they continued in their worldly ways and still didn't bother. Now, this is very important to understand. When Noah walked into the ark with his family, was he able to close the ark's door? The Bible clearly states that the Lord shut him in. Noah had no control over opening or closing that door. Once that door was sealed, everyone's fate outside of the ark was sealed. I'm sure people were asking for forgiveness and doing everything they could to get into the ark once the flood started. But it was too late. 
They had already been judged, and only God could open the door. Essentially, they were dead before the flood even started. Now, a quick side note here. When I say ark, what comes to mind? Obviously, Noah's ark, right? What does ark mean? What's the technical definition? Um, there's a couple of them, a boat or ship, right? Um, the one that I really like, it's, it's something that affords protection and safety, okay? So when I say Ark of the Covenant, what comes to mind? Gold-covered chest for Moses, right? So what does the definition of a covenant mean? Uh, it means an agreement which brings about a relationship of commitment between God and his people. So what was in the Ark of the Covenant that made it so special? The Ten Commandments, right? So essentially by obeying the Ten Commandments, we are entering into a covenant with God. Wasn't Noah essentially doing the same thing when he entered the ark? Meaning that, you know, when he entered the ark, he was entering safety. The covenant is safety, just like the ark was safety. Just like the Ten Commandments, it's safety. It's, it's our commitment to God, right, by obeying the Ten Commandments. Um, there's so much you could get into that in the sanctuary, um, but that would be another topic for another time. But I just wanted to bring that up because I think it's so awesome how the Ark and the Ark of the Covenant are so interchangeable and how there's so many parallels between those. So how is Noah's story relevant to us? Um, let's go back to some Adventist history here. If we look back at 1844, what essentially happened? They misinterpreted Bible text and thought Jesus was returning, right? But after the event of 1844, they actually realized that it meant that God has started the cleansing in the heavenly sanctuary, which began judgment on us. Essentially, this was God's warning sign that we were in the final days. So by my calculations, that's 177 years of God's warning and judgment that we've had so far. So when people say we are in the last days, it's because we are truly in the last days. We are currently being judged for our sins, just like he was doing in the time of Noah for 120 years. Now, a big thing for me that I love doing, you probably realize if you've listened to the previous two podcasts, I like quoting the Bible. I like quoting Ellen G. White because there's, they offer so much more insight than my own personal opinion, right? So that's why I try to get text Ellen G. White or whoever that has much more comprehension of all this. So this is Ellen G. White and Matthew um, in this here. The righteousness and the wicked will still be living upon the earth in their mortal state. Men will be planting and building, eating and drinking, all in consciousness that the final irrevocable decision has been pronounced in the sanctuary above. Before the flood, after Noah entered the ark, God shut him in and shut the ungodly out. But for seven days, the people, knowing not that their doom was fixed, continued their careless, pleasure-loving life and mocked the warnings of impending judgment. So, says the Savior, shall also the coming of the Son man shall also the coming of the Son of Man be, Matthew twenty four thirty nine. Silently unnoticed as a midnight thief will come the decisive, decisive hour which marks the fixing of every man's destiny, the final draw of mercies offered to guilty men. When God closed Noah's door, it represented the close of probation. What is the close of probation? Uh, if you look up that definition, it literally describes a point in time after which there is no more chance for repentance, meaning this is the moment of death. So what is God's end goal for us? Essentially to be in heaven with him, right? But how can we do that? 
we prepare to make sure we are ready for the conservation and Jesus' second coming. We don't want to fall asleep like the bridesmaids did waiting for the groom. So there's a recurring theme in a lot of these texts and passages that I'm going to read. And there's one word that keeps popping out and it's going to be essential to us to understand. So, watch ye therefore, least coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. Mark 13, 35 through 36. Perilous is a condition of those who, growing weary of their watch, turn to the attractions of the world, while the man of business is absorbed in the pursuit of gain, while the pleasure lover is seeking indulgence, while the daughter of fashion is arranging her adornments. It may be in that hour the judge of all the earth will pronounce a sentence. Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Daniel 5.27 And that's from The Great Controversy. So, aren't Christians, Adventists, growing wary of prophecy and turning to their own beliefs instead of relying on God's words? Now, obviously, there's been a renewed focus on prophecy in the end of times, but, you know, I still don't think people are listening. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be found wanting. That sentence went out before the flood as God closed the door to the ark, just like it will come before his second coming. So, prophecy is not only preparing us for Jesus' return, but also the close of probation. These signs are almost like a map telling us the right direction to go on and how far we are to our destination. But I know what some of you are probably thinking. Jesus comes as a thief in the night, so why try to predict or look for his return? Let's look at this logically. If I was a thief and came to your home and stole everything you had, you wouldn't know it until the next morning when you woke up. So do we honestly believe that Jesus is talking about his second coming here? Because his second coming will be seen by everyone. I think Jesus is more so talking about the close of probation because this is something we will surely not know when it happens. And Ellen G. White essentially agrees with this. Um, this is kind of a long quote, but I think it's great. Jesus has left us word, Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even at midnight, or at the cock crying or in the morning, least coming suddenly he find you sleeping. What I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. There's that word we've repeated several times already. We are waiting and watching for the master's return. Who is to bring the morning, least coming suddenly, find us sleeping? What time is here referred to? Not the revelation of Christ in the clouds of heaven to find a people asleep, no. But his return from the ministration of the most holy, laying off his priestly attire and clothing himself with garments of vengeance when the mandate goes forth. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. When Jesus ceases to plead for man, the cases of all are decided forever. This is the time of reckoning with his servants. Those who have neglected the preparation of purity and holiness, fitting them to be waiting ones to welcome their Lord, their sun sets in gloom and darkness and rises not again probation closes. Christ's intercessions cease in heaven and is finally summoned upon all, and those who have neglected the purifying of their souls by obeying the truth are found sleeping. They become weary of waiting and watching. They become indifferent in regard to the coming of the Master. They long not for his appearing and thought there was no need of such continued preserving watching. They have been disappointed in their expectations and might be again. They concluded that there was time enough yet, enough yet time to arouse. They would be sure and not lose the opportunity of securing an earthly treasure. It would be safe to get all of this world they could, and in securing this object, they lost all anxiety and interest in the appearing of the master. They became indifferent and careless, as though his coming was yet in the distance. While their interest was buried up in the worldly gains, the work closed in the heavenly sanctuary, and they were unprepared. 
If they had only known that the work of Christ in the heavenly sanctuary would close so soon, how differently would they have conducted? How earnestly would they have watched? The master anticipated all of this and gave them timely warning, warning in the command to watch. He distinctly states the suddenness of his coming. He does not measure the time, lest we shall neglect a momentary preparation, and in our dullness look ahead to the time when we think he will come and defer the preparation. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not. Yet this uncertainty and the suddenness at last foretold fails to quicken our watchfulness and arouse us from stupidity to earnest wakefulness for our expected master. Those not found waiting and watching are finally surprised in their unfaithfulness. The master has come, and instead of their being ready to open unto him immediately, they are locked into a worldly slumber and are lost at last. Now, if that doesn't make you want to get prepared, I don't know what will. So what are some things we can do to get prepared? Um, again, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. That's Mark. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come to thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Revelation. The words of Christ to the first disciples are applicable to his followers to the close of time. What I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. And that's from the great controversy in Mark. Though no man knoweth the day nor the hour of his coming, we are instructed and required to know when it is near. We are further taught that to disregard his warning and refuse or neglect to know when his advent is near will be as fatal for us as it was for those who lived in the days of Noah, not to know when the flood was coming. And how powerful is that? It's fatal, right? So it's safe to say we are required to watch, otherwise it's a death sentence, right? And I really like what Ellen G. White says here. I think she summed it up perfectly. Um, Lord, what will thou have me to do? We need to humble ourselves before the Lord with fasting and prayer and to meditate much upon his word, especially upon the scenes of judgment. And that's a great quote from Great Controversy. I mean, we could essentially end it right there with that quote, right? But I wanted to go just a little bit further. Um, do you think receiving God's blessing is good? Let's see what the Bible in LNG White has to say about blessings. Obviously, the answer is yes, right? But let's look at it. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the word of, his, of this prophecy, and those that keep these things which are written, for the time is at hand. And this is Revelation. And Ellen G. White says, Blessed is he that readeth, referring to the what John is saying in Revelation. There are those who will not read, the blessing is not for them. And they that hear, there are some also who refuse to hear anything concerning the prophecies. The blessing is not for this class. And keep those things which are written therein. Many refuse to, to heed the warning and instructions contained in the Revelation. None of these can claim the blessing promised. All who ridicule the subjects of the prophecy and mock at the symbols here solemnly given, all refuse to reform their lives and to prepare for the coming of the Son of Man will be unblessed. Wow. So essentially, we can gain a blessing just by studying prophecy, right? So do we understand the significance of receiving God's blessing? What does it technically mean? It means receiving God's favor and protection. So just by studying prophecy, we will receive God's favor and protection. Now, thinking about blessing, is there something else that's pretty prominent, especially in the Adventist church, that we do where we receive a special blessing? Um, God blessed the Sabbath day to keep it holy, right? So just some food for thought here. Can we technically receive a double blessing if we worship on Sabbath while studying prophecy? 
I think we can, and that's pretty awesome. All right, so to review, the things we need to look for is do we need to be watchmen? We need to prepare for the cosebration so we don't get caught sleeping. We need to pray, study God's word and the Ten Commandments, especially the end time prophecy, and obtain God's blessing for studying the prophecy, right? And Sabbath. So I plead with everyone, now is the time to stand up for what you believe in so you can be prepared for your final judgment. Don't get caught up in this world putting your faith in man. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and you'll never go wrong. All right, that wraps it up. Um, I hope you uh, learned something and I really appreciate you guys listening if you stuck through this all. And I'm gonna try to get better um, at trying to bring something out at least once a month this year. Um, Cause I think it's so important that, you know, not only for myself to learn and study things, but you know, just to kind of speak better um, and instead of reading, to, to just kind of talk things out instead of just reading. So I think this kind of helps me just become better prepared for that. So, all right. Thanks for joining guys. And hopefully um, I'll release something next month. All right. Thanks. Bye.